going back to how my life was really complicated before that because I have a history of drug addiction and jail and I have a checkered past um, which I've completely attempted to turn around since my stroke but I spent some time in jail and the headaches got really bad in there when I came out they weren't as bad but I would still have one or two a week um, and I started going to the hospital and, and trying to get doctors to look at it the headaches they got better I guess because there was less stress from not being in jail so I kind of was able to ignore them and then they started getting worse again. And I went to the ER a couple of times. And like I said, they just kind of pushed me back out the door. I'm just like, oh, this guy's just looking for painkillers. And they didn't really pay much attention to me. First doctor that I told about it, they really like opened her eyes and was like, yeah, something's wrong with you. I called in for work and I was downstairs in my living room. And I was just, just I felt terrible. Got up to open the door because I heard the mailman open the uh, my mailbox on the front of the my apartment and I passed out on my porch. Luckily, I had a girl, a friend, uh, living with me at the time, and she heard me hit the floor and came down and called the ambulance. Along with the, obviously, the spinal injury and such, my body pretty much completely atrophied. So when I came to, I still had my trach in. So I still had all that junk in me. Um, I don't, my memory's really spotty on that. Like I said, your brain will delete stuff it doesn't want to remember. The first thing I really remember, I remember bits and pieces. I remember, like, I couldn't lift my hands or move my feet. I could, like, move my toes and my fingers. I didn't have the strength to lift my arm or hold my head up. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Season 5 of Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll hear from Tyler Howerton from Richmond, Virginia. Tyler suffered a stroke at the age of 30. I've always been a car guy, so before my stroke, I was a full-time auto technician working in a shop, and I love that job. I'm still in the automotive field now, but obviously not to the same capacity. Hobbies was cars and hanging out with friends on the weekends. I didn't. I was a little bit of a go out and have fun on the weekend. Well, actually, I had a lot of fun on the weekend, but I still turned around and took care of my nine to five on the weekdays. The stroke was actually caused by, they were trying to treat meningitis. So before the stroke, I was having terrible headaches for about two years and nobody could figure it out. And it finally hospitalized me and they removed too much spinal fluid while trying to relieve pressure from the infection in my brain and caused two strokes. And along with that came spinal injury and damage to my equilibrium. It pretty much made me quadriplegic. The first real bad headache I remember was one night I went with my cousin to pick up his, his wife's car uh, a couple hours away here in Virginia. And I had a headache so bad that I couldn't even open my eyes. I remember him telling me, he's like, dude, your head looks like a balloon. Because I, I had the infection in the back of my head just swelling my brain up, me and my ne- neck stiff. Every couple of days I would have one like this, just completely incapacitating headaches. And there's a mid-story in that going back to how my life was really complicated before that because I have a history of drug addiction and jail and I have a checkered past, um, which I've completely attempted to turn around since my stroke. But I spent some time in jail and the headaches got really bad in there. When I came out, they weren't as bad, but I would still have one or two a week. Um, and I started going to the hospital and, and trying to get doctors to look at it. But doctors, every time I went with a crazy headache, they like, kept me for a little while till I felt better and sent me back out the door, almost like treating me like I was just there trying to get drugs or something. 
No, I mean, I didn't have any, I don't have any drug history in my medical history. I'm not exactly mad about it, but it's was frustrating that I really knew I had something wrong with me, but nobody would pay attention to me. Tyler contracted fungal meningitis. Every six months, I, I have a four-hour MRI to check on, make sure the fluid levels in my brain are staying the same. I have a shunt in the side of my head. It drains from my brain down to my belly. The headaches, they got better, I guess, because there was less stress from not being in jail. So I kind of was able to ignore them. And then they started getting worse again. And I went to the ER a couple of times. And like I said, they just kind of pushed me back out the door. Almost like, oh, this guy's just looking for painkillers. And they didn't really pay much attention to me. First doctor that I told about it, that really like opened her eyes and was like, yeah, something's wrong with you was actually not like a doctor that could dealt with it. She was a liver doctor. And she was like, yeah, yeah. she was like, something's wrong with you. And I would, somebody needs to pay attention. And then not long after that, I ended up going and seeing a doctor that wasn't on the Medicaid program. And he was an older doctor with a lot more experience. And he requested an MRI that my primary care had looked at and said there was nothing wrong with me. And the day I actually ended up in the hospital, that doctor got a hold of my CAT scan and said something was wrong with me. So two-parter. That day that I ended up in the hospital, um, I called in for work and I was downstairs in my living room and I was just, just, I felt terrible. Got up to open the door because I heard the mailman open the, uh, my mailbox on the front of the, my apartment and I passed out on my porch. Luckily, I had a girl, a friend, uh, living with me at the time and she heard me hit the floor and came down and called the ambulance. And that was the first time an ambulance took me to the hospital about it. And I was in for 10 days and somebody finally was like, okay, something's wrong with this kid. And they started trying to treat me. They did the testing and figured out that it was meningitis. And then one night the headache got real bad and they came in and I guess were working on me and went to do another spinal tap and pulled too much fluid and all the problems started. I don't have that much information on exactly the events that took place because last thing I really remember was just feeling really bad and then the doctors coming in. And then I guess they went to work on me or trying something. My, my mom um, and my aunt were around a bunch of it and they took notes from what the doctors told them. That's why I know what really happened. Coming up, Tyler talks about rehab. I had my own little little feats with the rehab and, and OT because I got good enough to where I didn't need the power chair anymore. And then I switched to a wheelchair and I was going back and forth in a wheelchair and I was getting stronger. And then one night I laid down and I looked over at my wheelchair and I said, I'm not using that thing anymore. And moving back in with his mom. Which was cool because she lives on a country club and they have a private gym and a pool and that's where stuff really started getting better for me because i was able to focus on myself i didn't have to worry about a girl i was here with my parents in a safe place a good place where i was happy i started going over to the gym four days a week and then immediately after that i walk out of the gym get in my car go 30 feet get in the pool for an hour and that was that started last summer and uh i just haven't stopped since then for three months, Tyler was in a medically induced coma. Along with the, obviously, the spinal injury and such, my body pretty much completely atrophied. So when I came to, I still had my trach in. So I still had all that junk in me. Um, I don't, my memory's really spotty on that. Like I said, your brain will delete stuff it doesn't want to remember. 
the first thing I really remember, I remember bits and pieces. I remember like I couldn't lift my hands or move my feet. I could like move my toes and my fingers. I didn't have the strength to lift my arm or hold my head up. I remember they had some kind of device that they would attach to the tube in my neck so I could kind of like talk, you know, like, uh, like those cancer patients have that um, little electric box. It was almost like that. They put a feeding tube in, obviously, because I had a trach in. So the most I got to put in my mouth was ice chips, and they were afraid I was going to choke on those. I remember a flash of them. I was in like an intermediate rehab where they were just trying to get my basic bodily functions back, get me to work on that stuff. I remember a couple of times, whatever worker was working with me coming in and I just like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But I couldn't talk or anything, obviously. So I was just making a fuss. Those are the really the only real flashes I remember. And then um, the next place my memory really comes to is being on the actual rehab floor in the hospital where I stayed for about three months. Mind you, this is right after COVID hit. So I, <laughs> I stopped being able to see anybody but my doctors and my um, OT and PT. I guess it didn't really matter that much to me because I wasn't even all that aware of what was going on. The next thing I really remember is being in that rehab room and them trying to kind of sit, set me up with a TV and I'd have the speech therapist come in after they took the um, thing out of my neck and start working on my voice and stuff. PT would come in almost every day and get me up and into my power chair and they would try to get me moving my legs. There wasn't much, very much improvement um, on those three months in the rehab floor. They got me to the point where I could kind of operate a power chair. I could move my hands enough to operate a power chair. From there, I kind of went home. I remember them putting me on the van and the ride home. And I was like, good God. It was trying to think of the best way to describe it. Riding in that van, I was. it was so shocking and jarring. I guess just because my body was still resetting. And then home I came. Got a hospital bed set up. Nothing extraordinary after that for the next year and a half or so. It was pretty much physical therapy and OT twice a week. And then I came home and laid on my ass a bunch. Because it, it took me a while to accept and come to terms and grieve. Because that's what you have to do after this kind of thing when you get this messed up. So you you got to accept it and you got to grieve the loss of yourself because you're gone. I had a girl that was hanging out with me, which was wild, but it was cool. She had fallen asleep, and I was, at this point, this is an actual real big memory, and actually kind of, I guess, a turning point for me, was I was to the point of where I had gotten past, I had my own little little feats with the rehab and, and OT, because I got good enough to where I didn't need the power chair anymore, and then... I switched to a wheelchair and I was going back and forth in a wheelchair and I was getting stronger. And then one night I laid down and I looked over at my wheelchair and I said, I'm not using that thing anymore. It was probably about nine months out. I laid down and looked at my wheelchair and I said, I'm not, I'm not using that. I'm not using it no more. And then I, I went to a walker. Then we come back to that part with the girl. I was walker status at that point, not the best with it, but I was, I, I could get up and, and go to the bathroom and, and turn the light switch off. I was careful. Well, I got up to turn the light off because she had fallen asleep. And when I was turning around, I, I lost it and I fell over and I hit my head on the ground pretty hard. And I just busted out, bawling, crying. I was frustrated and sad and, and angry. And I just wanted the old me back. 
And I think that's when it really hit me that that wasn't going to happen. I probably laid there and cried like a little baby for a good 10, 15 minutes. Just like when, if my best friend had died. And then I think after that, after that's when it really started, like things started changing for me. Cause you have to, you really do. You gotta, you gotta accept that the old you is gone. And then you gotta accept the challenge of becoming a new you. I think over the short while after that is when I start, really started getting to that point and pushing myself to be walking better. I ended up moving in with that girl, which was a mistake. Um, we won't get into that. We lived together for about a year and I started, I wasn't, wasn't very happy. I wasn't happy looking in the mirror. I saw a hollow shell of what used to be me, but I knew that I could at least get something back. So one day towards the end of that relationship, I went out to my living room and I got down on the floor and I just practiced getting up off the floor onto my knees, onto the couch, got back down on the floor, did that like 10 times. And then I went outside and struggled up and down the front steps like 10 times and went back inside. And I started doing that a couple of days a week. And then I started feeling myself getting stronger and it motivated me to do more. She left. My mom told me to come home and move in with her, which was cool because she lives on a country club and they have a private gym and a pool. And that's where stuff really started getting better for me because I was able to focus on myself. I didn't have to worry about a girl. I was here with my parents in a safe place, a good place where I was happy. I started going over to the gym four days a week. And then immediately after that, I walk out of the gym, get in my car, go 30 feet get in the pool for an hour and that was that started last summer and uh i just haven't stopped since then other than the pool closed because of the weather tyler has been making excellent progress in his recovery i got up and came out onto my back patio without my crutches i go to the gym well it's about to be five days a week now because i'm starting back another bout on physical therapy and as soon as the pool opens back up obviously i'll be going there I went from barely being able to lift a five-pound dumbbell. I'm now curling, went up to 25 last week. I couldn't do a half a squat and lift myself back up a year ago. Um, now I'm squatting, I think, 60 pounds. I couldn't do a push-up from my knees. And when I started on that floor, that was one of the things I, I was really focused on, is I couldn't go from my stomach to my hands and knees. Now one of my whole routines is just on. I'm on the floor doing like abs and, and core and leg lifts and stuff. I still don't have quite have the strength to, if I really push myself, I can sit up. That's been one of my focus points. My left hand was worse than my right hand and I was left-handed. Once I got to the point where I was strong enough to lift my left hand up off my leg, I started forcing myself to use that for everything. And now my left side has actually surpassed my right. I'm walking with lost strain crutches now. When I first started with them, I was all over the place. And then I got confident enough if I'm in the house, I can walk around. I always try to keep something close by to grab, but I can, even though my balance is still pretty screwy, I'm, I'm getting better. I can, I can walk from one end of my house to the other without touching anything if I take it nice and slow. I can drive now. One of my biggest uh, pushing factors is I still have my first car from when I was 17, and you'll probably appreciate it. It's a Mark II GTI. And uh, being able to drive that was a big driving factor for me because that's, that's something that's been with me my whole life, and it's very important to me. I remember making a post on Facebook being like, God, I wish I could just get up and go drive my car. Just go for a drive. And I could do that now.
I still have energy issues and obviously balance and walking issues. I have done, I spent some time here and there behind the desk at a shop. I also have to be with disability, which I don't want to lose because I can't work a full-time job and support myself. So I, I really need it now at the moment. I still have all the knowledge, but while I want to stay in the field, uh, if I do, I want to, I want to move towards doing something for myself and maybe owning a business of some sort. I've been selling some stuff online just to try to supplement myself a little bit like old Volkswagen parts. I've been wanting more and more just to do this and get my story out and try to inspire people because I see a lot of people that are just stuck in their post-stroke misery. And I want people to know that it doesn't have to be that way, but it's also not easy. I'd say patience is going to be key. It takes a while. For a stroke survivor, I'd say the harder you work, the faster it comes back. But don't expect it to be easy. You got to decide how bad you want it. And for a family member or a friend, I'd say just be there and provide all the support you can. Tyler was suffering from a life-threatening fungal meningitis infection when he suffered his stroke. He's since learned to walk again and is even back driving his car and hopes one day to own his own garage. Thank you very much for listening to Stroke Stories. We very much appreciate your support. Please do subscribe and rate and comment and recommend to anybody you think it might help. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. <laughs>